86%. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Fact Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Philip Wong. On today's program, we're talking about plans to revitalize Hong Kong's night economy after the launch of the government's Night Vibes Hong Kong campaign last night. Speaking at the opening ceremony for the campaign, the Financial Secretary Paul Chan announced a number of activities to help boost the economy after the sun goes down. This includes waterfront bazaars, evening museum and theme park activities and free entry to the Happy Valley race courses. English Premier League football matches will also be broadcast at more than 80 shopping centres, while dozens of pubs and restaurants around Lang Kwai Fong will have special offers for patrons. The campaign will run through the next few months, covering major holidays, starting with the Mid-Autumn Festival, National Day in October, Christmas and New Year, and a new, new Lunar New Year next February. So will this be enough to bring the night owls back out and spending? What else can be done to boost the night economy? And after 9.45, we learn more about a new bird-like dinosaur fossil discovered on the mainland. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message here on our Facebook page and on email us at uh, backchat at rthk.hk or call us on 233-88266. And uh, now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Hugh Kay, Vice Chairman of the Association for Hong Kong Catering Services Management, and Matthias Wu, Co-Artistic Director and Executive Director of the International Experimental Theatre Company, SUNY Icosahedron. Good morning, Mr. Hugh. Good morning, Mr. Hugh. Good morning, and uh, good morning, Mr. Wu. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So, um, Mr. Hugh, um, the Financial uh, Secretary, Paul Chan, announced a a long list of different activities to help boost the night economy. Um, Which ones stand out the most to you? Uh, I think the overall concept is great. uh, Because I think uh, with the the huge kind of uh, holiday is coming. I think uh, the Hong Kong is preparing for the the major end of the year uh, holiday seasons. I think uh, all this uh, discount to the to the theme parks and uh, all these uh, theaters and uh, uh, film going. I think it will help the people coming out and people drawing in all these tourists to Hong Kong. Right. And what about you, Mr. Wu? Uh, you're from the arts and culture sector. What do you make of the activities announced last night? Uh, are the ideas uh, creative enough? Mm, I'm not so sure whether... I mean, it's, it's better than nothing, I would say. So, I mean, in Hong Kong, we are always... Uh, I'm not so sure because the, the nightlife is an ecological issue, not just by having short-term event to really revive the night activity is uh, and and you talk about creativity and uh, i think it's a lot of uh, a typical hong kong government way to facilitate uh, putting money into events uh, discount i mean having discount doesn't really generate a long-term ecological um revival of uh, Hong Kong nightlife because I've got a couple of issues. I mean, Hong Kong is the only city in the world that has zero uh, night market and uh, hawker policy. So the policy is to is to eliminate all hawkers, all light markets on the street. So on the street level, there's no light. And also the licensing system, like the, for, for bars, for restaurants, is too 
is uh, so complicated and then it's too strict. So there's nothing. So if you go to Tokyo, Tokyo have a multi-layer of nightlife. You can go to night market. There's a lot of uh, live concert in small bars. But in Hong Kong, uh, small cannot uh, exist because because if we follow the rules, follow the uh, existing licensing system, is uh, the cost is very high, and then there's no um, there's no, creativity is not allowed because there's too many restrictions for a mini and a medium and a small size uh, arts venue or even F and B venues. So, like if you go to Shanghai, there are much more varieties. Uh, so I'm, I don't see. I mean, it's a short-term thing. It's fine, but I, but there's a long-term thing that the government really have to do research and tackle because compared with Shenzhen, Shanghai, uh, Tokyo, Hong Kong is really lagging behind. We used to be very uh, dynamic. Uh, if you go to Chimsatra East or Wan Chai, it's full of people after 2 a.m. But now it's that because the restriction is getting tighter and tighter and tighter. So I really, I don't see. Honestly, I really don't see any long-term hope. I mean, short-term, mm. okay, push it up, but then long-term, I, I really don't see any strategy, and I really don't see that it's really. I, I won't even say creative. I mean, it's just a, a series of administrative uh, means that uh, that give an impression that the government is doing something, but I really don't see that they are really helping the community to build up a night economy. I, I really don't see that. Mm, thank you, Mr. Wu. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the short term then, because you mentioned short term, it, it, it could potentially help. And in particular, in the arts and performances where, 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 where your industry is at, that surely will help. I mean, this uh, night market um, plan, that will surely help um, provide more opportunities for performers and more performances, wouldn't it? I don't think so. No, there's no policy to help the performing arts community at all. I mean, if you look at this, it's uh, only museum opening late, and then mm. there's nothing, nothing for the performing arts sector, or even for the concert sector. There's no, because you need a lot of backup. You, if you go to government venues, there is zero F and B. Mm. So when 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 the audience go after the show, there's no. For example, there's a, a lot of very great in uh, Wan Chai, uh, the Wan Chai, uh, uh, um, the Wan Chai, uh, Chai actually is Chun Wan, Chun Wan. There's a venue in Chinwan run by LCSD. They are running a lot of good, uh, very good uh, jazz concert. But mm -hmm. but if there's no there's if there's no neighborhood that have a jazz bar or FMB to back up, then you are in the middle of nowhere. And there's nothing. There's nothing. There's no backup because because nightlife is an ecological issue. So mm -hmm. if you go to like West End, there's bars, there's restaurants. So after you share a show, you can go and have dinner or you can have a drink with friends. But there's nothing. If you go to cultural center, I mean, there's nothing. There's only if you go to West Kowloon, there's only very expensive uh, F and B facility. There's no different layers of uh, different layers mean uh, from different kind of uh, you know um, uh, like small bars or inexpensive uh, night hot night things. But when when in the nineties, if we go to cinemas in in Hong Kong, that it. On the street, there are a lot of street hawkers. So when we go to, we can enjoy street food. We can enjoy drinks afterwards. And but now it's nothing. I mean, it's, it's isolated, because this kind of a Hong Kong style iso uh, uh, planning, uh, they compartmentalize everything. So now the issue is the government have to um, 
have to find a way to recreate the community sense. Right. Rather than you know, you just. I mean, this. I mean, and I. I really don't see anything works or what not. I mean, the government feel good that they're doing something. I. I really don't see it will work but, uh, at all. Uh, but Mr. Wu, according to uh, what, what we heard last night uh, from the financial secretary uh, from the government, um, some of the museums that we were talking about in Chim Sha Cho, they will uh, open until 10 p.m. Uh, on Fridays uh, and Sunday and public holidays. And uh, there, there will be workshops organized um, at the M Plus Museum and also at, at Tycoon. Uh, there will be uh, evening performances and art activities over uh, the next uh, few months. Wouldn't, right, that, wouldn't that help? No, this is an artificial mean. This is administrative means to create something that is not grow from the communities. What I mean, it's very simple. You know the, the, the ghost festival? I mean, the traditional Hong Kong style ghost festival? The government should facilitate ghost festival into a night event so that it would create a real sense of community. It, it, they should do it in the communities rather than do it in a artificial way. I mean, look at M plus, it's so expensive that not normal normal Hong Kong citizens cannot enjoy. If you go to all the museum there, the exhibition inside or, or, or the, the kind of exhibition they're doing is, is not connected to the community. So how can you attract people, the local people, to go there? I really don't see that honestly. All right, let's go. Let's go I mean, back. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's just a few good way to say so. We are doing something, and then okay, ask uh, and then do something easy, and uh, no risk. But then they are not really doing research and not doing this from a community level because you sh they should facilitate all the 18 districts develop different style of life life, like in Sai Kong. There's a, a lot of potential, but the, but the point is the government is doing this. Um, uh, I mean, I, I would say, okay, better than nothing. But then the next step is they should really think think about what Hong Kong, um, how Hong Kong government should facilitate a better ecology and how the government policy can facilitate it, rather than doing this kind of short-term thing. All right, let's I go back I really, to... I think it's half a little, you know. All right, let's go back to Mr. Hugh. Mr. Hugh. Hi, hi. Hi, and yes. uh, I'm sure you 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 sound much more optimistic about this uh, this uh, new um, campaign. Um, what what sort of benefits yes. do you think? I mean, uh, what sort of benefits do you think it will bring uh, to Hong Kong's at night economy? I think it's a it's a great show to draw more tourists to Hong Kong. Uh, I think this the, the 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 scheme of this night vibe Hong Kong <clears throat> is only initiated about less than two months. I think what they have done is, I think, is try, try to do as much as possible to join as much uh, uh, tourists from uh, abroad or China to, to to hit the the end of year market and the Chinese New Year. I think uh, uh, Mr. Wu says is uh, correct in most some some cases because I think it's just uh, two different issues here. It's one is the local issues, one is uh, the uh, uh, international issue where uh, the government is trying to draw in more uh, uh, tourists. I think with more tourists, then we can initiate more nightlife. I think local nightlife is a is a different issues because I, I myself also live in Saigon in many years. I think is without the people having the kind of uh, no, I, I cannot uh, agree. With you. The local international is the same thing. Like if you go to Tokyo, if you go to London, you won't separate it. You know, you can't use this kind of subsidy ways to subsidize tourists to come to Hong Kong. 
this is not this is no good. All right, this Mr. Is no good. In the long run, I really don't. I really don't think you you should. You should come All right, Mr. Wu. Let's let's Mr. All right, Mr. Wu. Let's let let Mr. Hill finish what he's saying. I mean, that's the that's the problem of Hong Kong tourism industry because they we always say that. A separate. It's not separate. It's the same. If you go to Bangkok, if you go to any international city, the government won't say that. I mean, you. I mean, at the moment, it's wrong. Use a subsidized way to subsidize tourists to visit Hong Kong. Cannot really develop a long-term uh, competitiveness. All right, Mr. A, Mr. Will, let, let, uh, let, uh, let's uh, listen to uh, Mr. What Mr. Hugh has to say. Please continue, Mr. Hugh. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, I think it's it's great to show off uh, what we have got and to join as much uh, tourists as possible for this end of year. Once once they come, then they have to spend money and then they spend to the the FMB business. Uh, all our members are, are are eagering for this end of year market uh, time uh, through the Christmas and the Chinese New Year. That's the the, the kind of the the biggest kind of uh, 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 time for for our, our members because uh, if this at Christmas time and Chinese New Year uh, does not do well. It does hit our, our, our members a lot. Uh, so I think uh, in many uh, aspects, uh, everybody should do the best to promote Hong Kong to join more and more uh, tourists. And the local people will, will will hopefully come out. But I think I just said before, uh, the local 18 district is, is, is a different issue. I think the government should spend more uh, to promote more of the local uh, business to engage in this night night market thing, uh, I, I I I I totally uh, uh, think this is a good start because before last night I didn't uh, uh, put too much hope onto this, but after all this uh, kind of a, a different promotion and 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 kind of a showcase to Hong Kong to let the, the world see what we have got, and hopefully more and more tourists from mainland China or from Southeast Asia. Uh, start coming back to Hong Kong and start spending and start uh, kind of staying in the hotel. Now, Mr. Hu, uh, um, a little you. bit earlier, Mr. Wu mentioned about uh, short term and long term in, in respect that short term, yeah. there might be some benefits, yeah. but long term might not be so much. Do you do you share the same concerns? I always do, do share this concern, but I think the long term issue is not just about Hong Kong. I think it's a, it's a global thing where, where is there that, that many people start spending money and all that stuff. I think we have to look into deeper, and the government should look in deeper, and how how any uh, implementation from the government should help the local businesses. I think that is the major issues. Where if they want to engage more of this kind of nightlife, I think it's not just nightlife. I think it's a total how make Hong Kong people to spend more money locally. Um, I think it's correct. I mean, and let me let me. I mean. The, the, the dilemma is the existing situation is more and more Hong Kong people go to Shenzhen to, to, to spend their light life or even day life, okay? You look at the figures, so the situation is, okay, we attract more tourists, but then if we have more local go to Shenzhen or go to other places and they spend less in Hong Kong, and then you compare the figures, then I really don't see there's any growth. If we talk about growth, we have, we have to do both. We can't just do it for the tourists. And then the tourists, we are talking different kind of tourists. The spending power of tourists, whether we we, are, we want to attract the high spending power of tourists or whether we are talking about, I mean, it's a very complicated ecological issue. And I, I don't think we should we should uh, separate the uh, local and uh, I really don't agree that. I think it's a, it's, it's a package. You, you, it's, it's a planning regarding planning, regarding 
how we regulate F&B service, how we develop performing arts venue, how we can facilitate a city that have more uh, interesting ideas is allowed to grow rather than is suppressed. I mean, you know, we are spending two billion. Hong Kong government is spending two million for hawker control units. You know, two billion. I mean, it's phenomenal. It's the biggest. I mean, at the people at the, at the hawker control units, two billion every year just to do hawker control. But why? If we look at hawker, hawker in a more constructive way, that it can create <clears throat> more uh, hawkers on the street, and then it can create a more dynamic life. But the situation, if you look at central and western district, there are many, many traditional uh, street market that's dying because the government won't we won't revive the hawker licensing policy, and then nothing happened. And and the most popular thing among tourists and local are this local street food and street uh, uh, food store. But the government won't do anything at all. They don't even say, okay, let's review it. They, everything is short term. Nothing is long term. And then, and then, and then we play our global issue, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then at the end, nothing done. And then there are more regulation and then more and more regulation. And then Hong Kong is dying. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fact. That's the reason why people are, wrong, people are, people are using the action to telling the government that Hong Kong has something wrong. Right. Mr. Wu, Mr. Wu, but do, Mr. Wu, I mean, your suggestions, I mean, it, it, will, it will take time. I mean, you, it's not something that can be done immediately. So, I mean, in that case, would you say the government's Night Vibes Hong Kong campaign is good? I mean, it's suitable, it's appropriate for um, the current situation in Hong Kong. That's what we need. I mean, like what Mr. Hugh was saying, uh, we need to do everything we can to promote Hong Kong, uh, to promote its tourism industry, to attract tourists. I mean, in a polite way, it's, it's better than nothing, I would say. But if, if but if we if 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 you talk about uh, if you really talk about the impact, I really don't see that much much impact. Honestly, I, I'm really honest. I, I really don't see. I mean, it's good, it's better than doing nothing. You know, <laughs> more 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 photo shooting uh, ceremony for 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 the government official. But then at the end, I mean, if you talk about the walk of life, people just go to Shenzhen or go to Taipei or go to Tokyo during the weekends. Who cares? Honestly. All right, Mr. Hugh. I mean, this kind of feel good, I mean, this kind of feel good situation is no good, honestly. But then it's better than nothing, you know. <laughs> Mr. Hugh, well, what's, the, what's the view of uh, the catering sector? Uh, of course, as I was just saying that I think it, as long as they, you, have, you have to get the the, the flow of traffic from many people coming into Hong Kong before you can engage more business to, to for those people to spend. Uh, as I was saying earlier, it's just two types of different business. All our members are saying, if in the tourist area like the Jim Sajai or the Wan Chai Causeway Bay, it's, it's pretty quiet. But only on the recent year, uh, within six months, uh, the, the TST area, uh, they are about get more business because there's a bit more uh, tourists coming back. Uh, but on the Hong Kong side, it's, it's a little bit less. Right. Uh, but I think on the local business-wise, I think uh, should do a bit more about uh, the, the kind of uh, generation of more people can come out to spend more money. Right. And Mr. Hugh, you mentioned uh, tourists earlier, and uh, you're still forgot about tourists yeah. now. Um, latest tourism board figures it shows that uh, just over 4 million people visited Hong Kong last month, and uh, most of them are from the mainland. Do you think um, uh, these night bazaars can, can, it attract, uh, can be attractive to mainlanders who are already used to having their own night markets? What, what, is, uh, what do we need to do to attract uh, mainlanders to these uh, night markets? I think, I think the government is uh, has done a lot. I think they, they, they think about a lot to move people to stay longer at night 
So that I think it'll help the uh, the the hotel business if if that to be it'll make people stay in Hong Kong longer. I think the 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 the, the implementation is 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 far better than nothing. I think. Well, this project, uh, this night market project uh, for the catering business, I can see a lot of like potential benefits for 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 them. But I'm just mm. thinking about the yeah. challenges as well. I mean, will this um, will this project mean that there'll be uh, more work? And will that does that mean you'll be need you you need to uh, hire more workers? And you know, with unemployment rates so low, is, is that going to be a challenge to actually find extra workers or actually ask you know catering business to extend their opening hours? Uh, I think our business, our, our members who do all the best to adapt. I think what we have been doing for the past four years, uh, we have been always in the forefront of the the challenges. I think, uh, of course, if the the, the new labour system uh, to getting more 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 labour force from from outside Hong Kong would be much better. All right. Actually, I have a, actually I have a suggestion. I think the government and or the, and the tourism sector should focus on West Kowloon Cultural District. The West Cultural, Cultural District is a big piece of land, and they can do a lot of things. A lot of pilot schemes like line market, like food store, like hawkers, and it's far away from uh, the residential area. So that I think it's, it's a perfect way to do a lot of experiment and become an attractive point that can revive a lot of ideas that, uh, that can really attract tourists. Because I've just back to Shanghai uh, uh, two weeks ago. I've been to Shanghai and Sunjian a lot for the last few months. And, uh, and, and compared with uh, uh, what's happening in there, is there are much more new venues, uh, bookstores, coffee shops, bars. There are many, many varieties. And I understand that we can't do this uh, in a quick way. But then I think the West Kowloon Cultural District, and they are in deep deficit, I think they should be a pilot as, uh, as an area to promote and upgrade Hong Kong nightlife you know, doing different kind of experiment or time structure. And and if there is a focus, if we do it right and create a successful case, then I think this this kind of experiment could could, could be a good pilot for for other other district and for other government departments so that they can release their control or a lot of things. And right. and I, I and I think the tourism uh, community should should not, uh, my, my suggestion is they should not look at the local and tourism business and a separate thing. I think it's together. And, right. and, and, and uh, Mr. Wu, I just, I just want to ask, uh, yes. what about uh, the tourism board's uh, idea? I mean, the tourism board is uh, also in discussion with uh, some stakeholders on ways to rejuvenate the Temple Street night market. Um, what suggestions do you have there? And the Temple Street night market need a lot of infrastructure uh, backup which is the Urban Renewal Authority has the responsibility to help. Like uh, the, the building, the, the building are getting very old and you need a lot of uh, up, uh, renovation. And there's a lot of, uh, they need the, the, uh, F, uh, the FSTB to, to give the policy support to facilitate uh, a night market that, that, that is sustainable. I mean, like the, uh, and they should create a, a, a modernized food store and uh, we can learn from Singapore that they have there are some uh, food store, uh, indoor food store. But I think the Temple Street thing, yes, it is a, it is a way. Uh, it is a way to do it. And, and there's not only Temple Street. They are, they are also in the central in the central and western district. There are Cass Street, for example, like Cass Street. Uh, and for example, near Lan Kai Fong and Typhoon and PMQ, there's a lot of uh, a potential there. 
Uh, so example, like why not PMQ allowed to have a mini bar that, that the FSB can release the licensing uh, policy so that can mini and interesting art and creative uh, bars or FMV there rather than now it's too expensive. You know, one of the reasons why is if we compare, we are, we are a little bit compared with Taipei, we are about 50% more expensive. And it compared with uh, Sunjun is even more. Uh, compared with Shanghai, if we talk about fine dining, I mean, the, the, the local rental cost is too high. So I think the FSTB or there, uh, you know, we have a lot of government run uh, in both the store. I think this could be a very good asset to develop inexpensive, interesting FMB All facility. Right. All right, Mr. Yeah. Wu, we're going to uh, take a short break for the news very soon. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Matthias Wu, co-artistic director and executive director of the international experimental theatre company, SUNY Icosahedron. And uh, Mr. Uh, Hui, let's uh, continue our discussion after the news in around two minutes' time when we will be joined by Dennis Wong, a hospitality expert from the Vocational Training Council. And uh, if you want to ask our guests questions or just share your views on today's topics, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And uh, here's a, a quick look at the weather, cloudy with showers and thunderstorms. Showers will be heavy at times. The uh, top temperature today will be uh, around at 29 degrees. And uh, right now it's 28 degrees, relative humidity 86%. <music> It's now 9.30. With a new summary, here's Tom Wooden. A 20-year-old man was found lying on the platform of University MTR station with serious injuries around midnight. He was pronounced dead when police officers arrived. Police said initial investigations suggested that he was hit by a train near the edge of the platform. Transport officials say bus services to and from Sheko are resuming this morning. The number 9 service was suspended yesterday when part of Sheko Road was closed as heavy rain worsened subsidence. Harborside night bazaars and discounts on entertainment are among the initiatives the government is rolling out as it launches a major campaign to revitalize Hong Kong's nighttime economy. The Night Vibes Hong Kong promotion will involve a series of activities between this month's Mid-Autumn Festival and the early part of next year. I'll have more news at 10. The chief executive will announce his second policy address this October. The government is conducting a public consultation. Please share your views on various policy areas. I would like to have your views. We will do our utmost for people's livelihood and the economy. And together, let's make Hong Kong a better home. For details, please visit www.policyaddress.gov.hk. Scammers are everywhere. If an unknown caller claims to be a law enforcement officer, even if they have your personal information, you should never transfer money or disclose your bank account information, especially any passwords. Some online scammers may pretend to be lovers and investment experts. At the beginning of the investment, you might earn a little, but the scammers will eventually take all your money. When in doubt, call the police anti-scam helpline, one 222 Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Friday morning with Philip Wong and me, Janice Wong. Still with us on the program, it's Hu Shekke, Vice Chairman of the Association for Hong Kong Catering Services Management. And joining us now is Dennis Wong, a hospitality expert from the Vocational Training Council. Good morning, uh, Mr. Wong. 
Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Mm. Um, I, I mentioned briefly before the news that uh, the latest tourism board figures show that uh, last month just over 4 million people visited Hong Kong and uh, around 3.4 million were from the mainland. And now looking at the uh, different activities announced by the government in its uh, campaign to help boost the night economy, um, Mr Wong, do you think it will be attractive to these uh, visitors? First of all, it's very encouraging that uh, the tourists are coming back and we are seeing, the, as you said, uh, we are seeing a very encouraging figures. So um, to, to have the Night Vibes activities uh, through the Hong Kong, Night Vibe Hong Kong campaign, I think it will offer more choices, choices for tourism, of tourism activities during the night time, uh, in particular when these activities are coupled with spectacular night views as well as the local festivals. Um, it will... Uh, highlight the uniqueness and, and augment the touristic experience uh, while people participate in these activities. Right, do you think it will just attract uh, tourists and visitors or do you think it will also attract uh, um, local residents as well? Well, um, obviously these lifetime activities will, will offer additional excuses uh, for, for tourists uh, to stay longer and maybe stay overnight. And it's very important that, that these activities to attract locals uh, primarily to boost up the vibes and make Hong Kong bustling again. And this is very important because tourists will see uh, whether we have the atmosphere attractive for them to go out during the night time. So uh, with um, the, 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 the light time uh, vibes is, is coming back and uh, make Hong Kong bustling again, this will encourage uh, the tourists to immerse themselves in the light time environment in Hong Kong. Right. I just want to go back to uh, Mr. Hugh. Mr. Hugh? Hi. Hi. Uh, yes, we we hi. talked about, uh, before the news, we, we talked about some of these uh, night markets uh, and uh, these uh, night bazaars that will be along the Wan Chai Promenade, waterfront areas in Kuntong and uh, Belcher Bay. Sorry, and, can you repeat that? Okay. Um, before, before the news, we talked about these uh, night markets, these uh, three night bazaars along the yeah. uh, Wan Chai Promenade, waterfront areas in Kuntong and Belcher Bay yes. in Kennedy Town. Um, they're, they're, of course, uh, among the highlights of the government's campaign, and uh, we know uh, now that they will be co-organized by uh, non-governmental organizations and the government. Um, Mr. Hugh, what do you think of this arrangement? I, I believe that uh, Finson, I think he, he did a brilliant job in uh, revitalizing all this seafront and all this kind of uh, extra space for people to, to spend the, the time, even at night time. I think for people, the local residents can 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 come out more to to uh, to, to to engage on the nightlife of Hong Kong and the harbour view. Uh, I think uh, I think it's just time. I think in Hong Kong is the economy, and previously, as Mr. Wu was saying, there's more many many problems. I think it's not just about how people could, could come out. I think it's just about the economy and the the, the rental cost and the uh, uh, and the labour cost in Hong Kong. And, and if those would be adjusted, it will help Hong Kong a lot more. Right. And when it comes to uh, organizing these uh, night markets, are, are special skill sets usually required? I mean, will uh, these NGOs be able to, uh, do they have the skills to organize these uh, night markets, do you think? Uh, I think uh, there's many uh, options for the government to, to engage in some company which could uh, organize one individual event. But we have been discussing if if the government could could use the same system as they have used for the Chinese uh, New Year uh, night market system, 
to open up more of the local uh, 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 play uh, some of the the, the grounds from or, or some uh, minor a small piece of uh, football pitch to for for local kind of nightlife. Uh, if that uh, can be uh, implemented, I think it, they can extend the Chinese New Year night market for a wider period, uh, so that it uh, make more of the local people could come out more to spend the night. Uh, Mr. Hugh, I'm just thinking about pre-COVID. You know, nightlife hasn't been as great as before. Before, I'm, I'm talking about like 10 to 15 okay. years ago. You mentioned about like, you know, before uh, like East TST, Mong Kok, and even Lan Kwai Fong, it was bustling and, 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 and very vivid. Yeah. Why do you think that yeah. kind of dropped just before pre-COVID and this campaign, will it tackle these issues? I think it's not, we could not do anything because these are global issues where uh, the uh, many of the, the local business ha- couldn't haven't been picking up yet, especially the 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 the, the listed company and all this uh, international company. Uh, we should make if the world economy smoothen out more. I think there will be much more business coming back into Hong Kong. Then I think the nightlife uh, will will become more much more vibrant. And uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Wong. Yes. Hi. Uh, yeah, and also, keeping in terms of keeping momentum, because earlier we, we talked about you know short term and long term. Most short term, I think there will be massive benefits. Mm. It's it's kind of important to keep the momentum going to to get you know long term benefits as well, isn't it? Yes. Um, well, th- this time the campaign will will certainly be uh, acting as a, a spark. So to um, to make a change of the uh, the habits of the locals, and also uh, to to uh, attract the tourists to um, to share their experience uh, to to their friends and relatives outside of Hong Kong. That will be very important for the long term developments of tourism, and also the, to help the Hong Kong economy. Right. I have a message here from one of our listeners, Brett, and uh, he's talking about the the night markets. And uh, he says, uh, you don't create these things. They create themselves. It's a part of the local culture. And that uh, message is uh, from uh, Brett. Now, um, Mr. Wong, when you when we look at these night markets, how how does this uh, compare to other places? I mean, Hong Kong, I know, I mean, how does Hong Kong's older uh, night markets compared to the ones uh, that exist these days in other places? Yes, um, when we are talking about night market, uh, it's very much a local uh, culture related. Um, I would say every tourist destination has its own uniqueness. And every destination around Hong Kong, or in Southeast Asia, or in in China, we have a lot of uh, local markets, and these local markets are very much um, local culture related. So it's very important for Hong Kong to, for this time, to showcase our unique culture through the uh, night markets, and and that's why it's I I, I would uh, very much um, um, concerned about uh, how we can. Um, revitalize um, and to re- showcase our culture uh, in our night market, like Temple Street, which is uh, used to be a very bustling area, uh, but now is is less attractive as before. Uh, but we we still have the background, and I think we we need to have. Uh, some creativity uh, to showcase our uh, local culture again to make uh, this place attractive again. Right. So what suggestions do you have, for example, for the Temple Street market? 
is uh, for Temple Street is is uh, very very much attractive in terms of the food and beverage uh, locally and also for tourists. Uh, so we we perhaps we we can um, revitalize in this ed- in in this area and also in terms of the the. Um, uh, the products uh, that we are selling uh, in in Temple Street, uh, we need some more um, new ideas, uh, while uh, related to the local culture and perhaps some local handicrafts um, by the the, the young um, designers, and this will help to uh, improve the image of the Temple Street. Now the campaign is actually I can see that's a very big project because it involves a lot of different industries like catering. Um, and also with different malls, even uh, the Happy Valley Racecourse, they're, they're providing free uh, admissions on, on the Wednesday night. And mm-hmm. also with free public transport at night, like the MTR, mm-hmm. um, providing, providing people with uh, free transport by five, I think, get one free, something like that. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is that a good start? Are there any other areas where you feel we should look into as well? Uh, we, we, should, we should look at uh, the price level. Many tourists complain about that uh, the Hong Kong price level uh, is very high, so uh, they they refrain from uh, spending a lot, and they will think that the, it might not be valuable money. So uh, if we cannot lower our price, uh, we should improve our service quality. So um, uh, this will, will 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 encourage them to spend more and to have a good tourist experience. Uh, what about Mr. Hugh? What are your thoughts on this? I'm very curious to know your thoughts, especially in the catering industry, because if you compare the nightlife, for example, in uh, Taiwan, you know, the foods there is very, very cheap. You know, is, is, is this something that we should look at as well in terms of pricing? Of course. I think, as I was just mentioning, I think in Taiwan and the, the, uh, the total mix is different. I think with the, the, the rental cost and the labor cost mm. is, is totally com- compared to Hong Kong is very different. And in Hong Kong, I think uh, of course, if it is cheaper, it will be much more people to come out and eat. Which most of our members have uh, already dropped their pricing on a lot of the the menu to 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 join more guests to come out. Right. Uh, you know, according to uh, Mr. Yes. Mr. Hugh, according to uh, the development secretary Bernadette Lin, um, when when it comes to the uh, night markets, uh, NGOs can use the space free of charge. The ones that are um, organizing the night markets, and uh, if they decide to bring in any store operators, for example, for, for selling food or souvenirs, they will not be charged any rent. So, um, in that case, Mr. Mm-hmm. Hugh, uh, do you um, do you think prices can be a lot lower? Uh, I do believe that if the, the rent is 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 not uh, don't need to be accounted for in the in the in the pricing, I think then the the, the pricing will be a lot lower and then drawing a lot more people to come out. And so you think a lot of I the, think it's a great idea. And you think a lot of people in the catering industry. I mean, have they spoken to you? I mean, are they interested in uh, participating in these uh, night markets? Uh, for many of our members, are very much interested in it. But I think it's just uh, we're just worried about is how they implement this project locally or, or or individual areas like such as the west kowloon which most likely those might be like controlled by the uh, uh, one in- individual group i think it's, it's hard to see they how open uh, invitation I'm, I'm not sure we are still in discussion mm. and mr wong if yeah. we're talking about tourism in general in Hong Kong. Um, Janice mentioned in August there were 4 million uh, visitors coming into Hong Kong, but this was around 80% um, of pre-COVID levels. 
Will the Night Vibe Hong Kong campaign help boost that back up to uh, 100%? Or do you think that there's something else that we need to be looking into, not just nightlife, maybe like daylight, for example? I think most importantly is to um, encourage the, the tourists to spend more and stay longer uh, 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 in the night time so that they have more chances to, to spend and to buy things and to have uh, some um, uh, late night uh, meals. Uh, in terms of the numbers of tourists, I, I'm not um, very optimistic because he's, he's talking about the, the, the worldwide economy and also the economy in China. So it will affect whether they, they are willing to go out and travel. Um, but in terms of the, the spending, I think the Light Vibe Hong Kong campaign will, will encourage them to spend more and perhaps to encourage them to stay overnight. Because at the moment, many of the tourists from the mainland, they just come and go within the same day. Um, if we have the nighttime activities to, to uh, attract them to stay late at night, they will probably be very tired and they will do sleep uh, in, in, in a hotel for one night and then before they go. Right, and so far we've been talking about attracting mainly like uh, mainland tourists. What about international ones? What can we do to attract international uh, visitors, Mr. Wong? Well, uh, for international visitors, uh, we, 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 we have to uh, make use of our local culture in terms of the uh, festivals. Uh, as we are seeing, that there are many uh, local festivals uh, coupled with the uh, night vibe uh, activities. Uh, this will be attractive to the uh, international visitors. And just finally, Mr. Wong, um, out of all the, 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 whole, the long list of uh, different activities uh, included in this campaign, which one do you think will be the most effective in helping to uh, boost uh, nightlife in Hong Kong? Well, there, there are a series of activities, and uh, I think most of them are uh, resuming from uh, what we have before and used to be very successful. Uh, I think the, like the, the Hong Kong Wine and Dine Festival, Winterfest, and also New Year Countdown, all these will be very attractive. I, it used to be very successful. I'm very optimistic for these activities. All right, uh, Mr. Wong, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us uh, on the program this morning. And that's uh, Dennis Wong, a hospitality expert from the Vocational Training Council. Many thanks also to Hu Shake, the uh, Vice Chairman of the Association for Hong Kong Catering Services Management. And uh, it's now 9.46 and uh, it's time to move on to our next topic. And it's about a new bird-like dinosaur fossil found on the mainland. And we'll find out more right after this. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Christine Choi, the Secretary for Education. Congratulations on the 95th anniversary of RTHK and many wishes for its future success. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. Now, scientists on the mainland have found fossils of a tiny bird-like dinosaur with a longer, long lower leg. And uh, the findings suggest that peasant-sized dinosaur lived in southeast China around 180. 48 to 150 million years ago. To find out more, we're now joined on the line by Professor Michael Pittman from the uh, Chinese University's School of Life Sciences. Good morning, uh, Professor Pittman. 
Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Now, um, before I ask you about the actual discovery, uh, Professor Pittman, can you tell us uh, the name of the new dinosaur? Is it a uh, Fujian Veneta or Fuji and Veneta? It's a bit difficult to tell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the names can be quite tricky. So it's called Fujian Veneta, Fujian being the Chinese province where right. it was found. And Veneta is Latin for hunter. So it's the Fujian hunter. All right. All right. Now that we've uh, cleared that up, let's uh, get into the actual discovery. Um, one of the researchers who uh, published a paper about uh, this new dinosaur fossil described it as uh, bizarre. Why is that? I mean, why is it so bizarre? So birds are thought to have evolved about in the middle Jurassic, so about 170, 160-ish million years ago. So the earliest bird fossils we have are from that time. And those fossils have very unusual in anatomy. They don't look like modern birds. So they have a big, long tail. Their wings, although feathered, uh, are quite simple. So in that way, they're very strange. And, and this new fossil uh, is even stranger in that it has slightly longer legs, uh, which is today you only see in specialized birds, ones that um, hang around in the water, like in the Maipo marshes in Hong Kong or ones that spend a lot of time running around the ground. So these early birds uh, seem to have been not so good at flight and spent more time on the ground than in the air. What does this tell us, though, about, you know, if, if we compare this new species with the species that we have now, you know, how does it help us you know, understand um, what we have now? Sure. So this type of fossil is what we call an anchiornithid, and they were described many years ago in about 2008 from the late Jurassic of China, and they were proposed as the earliest birds ever found. Mm. And after they were discovered, they were controversial because some people thought, no, 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 it's not an early bird, it's a close relative. It's more closely related to a, a raptor than it is to a bird. And you know, a lot of people worked on this, including myself, and people like my team have found that actually, I think it is a bird, uh, they were originally right. And so these new authors agree with that assessment, and they've importantly found this fossil that isn't 160 million years, but 150 million years. Uh, old and that means it fills a gap because we have lots of fossils from about 160 and lots of fossils from about 125 and so this kind of fills in a, a nice gap so we have lots of evidence that suggests that they don't fly very well you know we can do calculations of their flight ability that's some work that i've done myself um, we have even soft tissues of the dinosaur so we have the feet of the dinosaur that show they were good at uh, spending life on the ground. Um, so its importance is it fills in a time slot that we didn't have evidence before. For. Right. So, so what else do we know about uh, this uh, new dinosaur? I mean, can it fly? Uh, can we tell? I mean, can it, uh, I mean, does it have feathers? Sure. Is it possible to tell? Yeah. So, so this particular fossil comes from a new locality. So in the paper, they propose a new biota. So prior to this paper, there had never been a fossil described uh, from this formation that was closely related to birds. So they say, say, oh, we have this new discovery from this new biota that has not just early birds, but it has fish and all sorts of other uh, animals. And this particular one, um, it's not the most beautiful specimen. It's missing a head. It doesn't actually preserve feathers. A lot of the early birds have beautiful feathers. They're perfectly complete. They even have 
um, the skin on the feet and and the skin around the body. Um, but uh, it's skeleton. It's a skeleton anatomy. It tells us a lot about what it does. So its wings were very simple. Um, so it definitely wasn't a good flyer. And uh, we can tell by its legs, it's uh, they're very long, and the proportions of the feet, proportions of the leg bones. Um, more common with birds that spend time on the ground than with birds that spend a lot of time in the air. I'm very curious to know more about how, you know, you get to find these new species and discoveries. Is it just by luck sometimes just choosing a spot and then getting a shovel and dig it and you find it? <laughs> or do, how do you find them? Yeah, that's, that's a great question because uh, it is a lot uh, to do with luck. So we first have to know that we're looking in the right rocks. So most dinosaurs live on land and some took to the skies. The, the birds are one of the dinosaurs that are in the sky. Uh, but you generally find them only in what we call terrestrial rocks unless the animal gets washed out to sea. So we have to find the environment that they would be living in that's represented in the, by rocks. And we have to find the right age. But once we found those two things and narrowed our scope a lot of it is just you have to walk and be very uh, keen eyed so essentially the methodology hasn't changed for about you know 200 plus years um, but nowadays there are some techno um, advances that help us so we can use drones um, we even have some special laser imaging that I've developed where we can try to use a computer to kind of log possible um, fossil uh, discoveries but essentially it's a lot of hard work and and, and uh, walking around places like the gobi deserts uh, places like patagonia um so in china for example where these um fossils are from a lot of uh, important fossils are actually found by farmers because they're spending a lot of time on the land and they might come across fossils so not all fossil discoveries uh, are made by professionals and how, how do you actually, you know, once you find the fossils, how do you scan it and, and actually find the, the actual body, you know, with the skin and the organs and, and all that, like the shape of it? How, how, how do you actually, you know, find that? Well, basically, the field's, uh, you know, more than 150 years old, and it has been a study of bones. So dinosaurs are mostly represented just by the fossilized bones. So the original bone that's turned into a rock. And very, very rarely you get the bones along with the soft tissue, along with the feathers, along with the skin, along with the muscles. We even have some dinosaurs that have like fossil intestines and fossil eyes. Very, very, very rare though. Luckily for us in China, in the northeastern portion, in, in places like Liaoning province, Hebei province, Inner Mongolia, we have some of these exceptional preservation areas. Uh, so, we, so my specialty is looking at these early birds and close relatives that have these soft tissues. So we can look at them uh, and find lots of information that we would never, ever normally find. But we can also use technology. So I developed some special imaging called laser-stimulated fluorescence. It makes fossils glow in the dark. And I can actually, in many of these fossils, find soft tissues that normally you can't see. So I found, you know, the feet of the dinosaurs. I found eyes of some dinosaurs. And that tells us a lot about their biology when normally it's impossible to know. And I'm just thinking about dinosaurs in general, you know. I think when we were 
children, when we're kids, you know, dinosaurs really fascinate us because they're such strange creatures. But as we grow older and turn to adults, we don't really think much about it, <laughs> except <laughs> in, in your profession. Um, so, so my question, my, my my question is, you know, with the, these new discoveries and, and and this one, for example, how does it really help us, like you know, currently? Sure. So that's a great question. So. This particular discovery and, and like people like the, the team that discovered it and people like myself that specialize in the origin of birds, it's a very fundamental evolutionary transition. So some of the big questions in biology, how did birds evolve flight? How did animals come out of water you know, and evolve into us? Mm. Some of these big questions uh, you can only study by looking uh, at fossils, but because the fossil record tells us about what's happened not only, you know, 100,000 years ago, a million years ago, but hundreds of millions of years ago. We can actually see how the Earth has changed through time, how have animals reacted to big changes in the environment, you know, when the Earth was a lot hotter or the Earth was a lot uh, colder, when it was wetter in some places, whereas now it's not. So in that sense, knowing about the past can be very instructive for the future. So there are, there are many paleontologists that use that, those lessons from the past. You know, for example, there are periods of Earth history when it was even warmer than it is today. So we, we talk about this warming Earth now. There are times in history where it was even warmer. So we can only get insight into how the, the whole uh, ecosystem of the planet will behave by looking at the past, not by looking at the present. Now, this particular field, you mentioned, you know, it's been around 150 years. We found a lot of dinosaurs. Do you expect to find, you know, even more different kinds of dinosaur species? Or do you, do you think it's, it's drying? It's starting to yeah. dry up? Yeah, well, it's the thing is, a lot of the big questions are still not uh, properly answered. So, you know, I, I study flight evolution but it was studied for more than 150 years you know the first bird fossil was found in 1861 and you know I, i'm still studying it they didn't they didn't manage to answer all the big questions back then so there's a lot of interesting things to still study and you know this fossil just shows that a really crucial time slice in early bird evolution we hadn't had any fossils before and you know we're in you know 2023 and even these anchiornithids these Group, this group of early birds, probably the oldest group of birds that we know of. The first fossil of one of them was found in 2008. So that just tells you that that big piece, like the origin of birds, only arrived really, you know, a few years ago. And that's the same, not just of the evolution of birds, but the evolution of many different groups. How did whales move from the land into the sea? You know, how did our first ancestors, the first fish come out of water and become amphibians? Lots and lots to do. But the, the amazing thing you touched upon is the interest in the public. So, you know, kids are really fascinated. I unfortunately didn't shake the interest. And, but it, more importantly, it kind of inspires uh, young people about science in general. So, all right. Uh, Professor Pittman, unfortunately, we're out of time, but this is all very right. interesting. Hopefully we'll have a, another opportunity to discuss this. And uh, sure. thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Professor Michael Pittman from the Chinese University's School of Life Sciences. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today. And of course, to our guest presenter, Philip Wong and producer Raphael. That chat will be back on Monday with Jim Gold and Mike Rouse.